There we go. Good morning, everyone. We're uh, continuing in our gospel series of 10 messages on the gospel, and strangely enough, all of these messages begin with the letter S. So today we're looking at security, and we have one more part next week at safe. And uh, security, we're talking about security of salvation, security of our position with God today. And uh, it's, it's uh, one of those things that is debatable. Some people believe you can lose your salvation. I'm going to try and convince you that you can't today, uh, just in case you were wondering. I want to look at, uh, briefly at our scripture passage that we are using as a theme this whole series. It comes out of Ephesians 3. And uh, I'm going to read it beginning at verse 16, and then I'm going to have you join me in a little exercise. You ready? I pray from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong, and May you have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide and how long, how high and how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So I was inspired last week. We had a a hearing-impaired couple with us last last Sunday, and I thought, uh, let's do something this week that would uh, learn another language. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to take this passage. You all ready? Okay, I need you to stand up. This is only going to work well if you stand up, because otherwise half of what you're saying is going to be cut off. So I want you to say that um, we have to grasp your finger, how grasp how wide, how long, How high and how deep is the love of Christ? One more time, and then I'm going to read the passage, and you'll come with me. So I want you to grasp how wide, how long, and how high and how deep is the love, I think it's this way, sorry, of Christ. Okay, I'm going to read the passage. And when we come to this part, I want you to join me silently. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all people should, I want you to grasp how Where am I? How wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ for you? Let me pray. Thank you, God, that you remind us so regularly of your love. One of those emotions, Father, that completes us when we know that we are loved by you that you are with us, that you come to live in us, that you change who we are because of your love, that you provide for us and protect us because of your love. We can never really fully understand how long and how wide, how high and deep is your love for those who believe in you and how you never let us go. Thank you, God, for your presence here today. Guide us as we search your word for truth and understanding and application. I pray in Christ's name. 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Some years ago in another life, I used to travel around the world, and uh, I, I was watching my, my air miles and my status. I would fly on uh, Star Alliance carriers, try and get all my flights on the same carrier, because when you get a certain number of air miles, 50,000, you get to become a gold member. And some of you have had that privilege over the years uh, as you travel for business. And, but I had never experienced this before. It was just a new, a new thing. You, it, everything changes when you get a gold card. They, it, it prints it out on your, your boarding pass, gold member at the very top. You're like, ooh, status. So with that, it, it let me go to a special check-in lane. I, I could go around hundreds of people ahead of me and just like, yeah, I wish you had a gold card. <laughs> it affords me a, a more respect from the flight attendants when I get on the plane. E- even if I didn't sit in business class, I go, oh, good morning, uh, Mr. Blackaby. Hope you enjoy your flight. Oh, nice. Uh, access to airport lounges to get food and relax before a long flight. Maybe even take a shower. And air- the airport in London, you can go have a shower. If you've got a you know, 12-hour flight, you're just getting off and getting on another nine-hour flight to get home. Just relax. It's so nice. Um, if there's any trouble, there's a special Star Alliance gold phone line I can call to get things sorted out quickly. Um, also, there's, a, 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 there's like there's always a seat reserved just for me. And sometimes you get upgraded to first class if you're, if you're gold. And it's like, this was so nice. But that was another life ago. Now I don't have those privileges <laughs> Uh, but I also realize that the privileges come at a price. They don't just hand out gold cards to anybody. You have to spend half your life on their airplane first. You know, it, there's a cost involved, and when anyone has that status, you know that they, they live with jet lag most of their life because they're always flying. There's a price that you pay. Um, the airline is basically thanking you for spending half your life on their planes. And... Um, but you know that it's not free. Security of salvation comes from our status as children of God. When you come to that place in your life where you give your life to him, where you trust him as your Lord and Savior, you are born again. Your, your status changes from living in darkness and in the kingdom of this world to being in a kingdom of our Lord and Savior. You, you become a child of God. You, it's like you have a new name. The Bible talks about giving a new name stamped on you as child of God. Christ comes and lives in you. There's a, it, it's, a, it's, a it's also, it's, a, it's different than the gold card because the gold card, you got to keep up your mileage. If you, if you get under the 50,000, you lose your status. You have to Get back on the planes and, and earn that back. You can pay money to get up to the status if you want to, to get more miles. But in God's kingdom, it's a one, one and done deal. You don't have to re-earn it. You don't have to re-up every year. You don't have to work hard to keep your status as a child of God. We move from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And the price for our salvation, our new status, was paid by Jesus. He covered that for you. He's, he's, he's got it as a gift ready to hand to you for all of those who believe. Your status changes. You become a member in God's kingdom. You can enjoy all the rights and privileges that come with God's gift of salvation. 
The protection, the privileges, the provisions, the guidance, the comfort, the love, and the mercy reserved for you as a child of God. You can, you can go in the Bible, the manual, uh, and find out all of the benefits of being a child of God. You just flip through the pages. You can, you can talk to God directly. There's lots of good stuff in there if you want to find out what it means to be a child of God and how you access all of the privileges. There's a special hotline you can call anytime, anywhere. You find customer service, immediate action for any need that you might have when you're a child of God. Don't have to wait in line. When I was thinking about security of salvation, I went back in my mind to a time where I was uh, speaking at a, at a prayer and fasting conference in South Sudan some years ago, and they gave us um, a, a bodyguard. Here's what he looked like. He was big. Carried a nine millimeter uh, pistol in his back belt, and uh, we got to ride in a protocol uh, SUV. I don't think it was armored, but it was blackout windows. And uh, wherever that car went, uh, the gates automatically opened. Every compound, every place we went, and uh, there was like kind of a salute because everybody knew that guy. And uh, I said, "Can I shoot your gun?" He says, "No." <laughs> okay, just. Just asking. It looks kind of fun. But when you're under the protection or under the, the care of the president of the country, uh, he takes care of you. In fact, when we went to the airport to, to, to go home, we went around the airport to the back. We didn't even see our luggage. It all got handled for us. It took us to a special room, a lounge for dignitaries. And uh, my luggage arrived home somehow. Uh, for me. It was, everything was just taken care of because you're under his, his protection. You have his approval. And, uh, and I just thought, it's not any different when you're a child of God. You're under the protection of the king. Where you go, you have his authority. You have his power and you have his presence. You are his ambassador as a child of God. And we forget sometimes, we, we, we forget that that we are so special and important because our status changed when we were born again. Question is, how do you know if you've truly been saved? How do you know if you've been born again? Over my tenure as a pastor, over many decades, people, they just don't know sometimes. I'm not sure if I'm saved or maybe I lost my salvation or maybe... I don't know if it really stuck. Like I've, I've, I've given my life to Christ 10 or 12 times. I'm just hoping that like one of them actually worked. Honestly, it's, people, they, they, they wonder, like, is it real? Does it really happen? Well, there's a passage in Luke chapter 8, a story, parable, about a sower and seeds I want to look at briefly. Just as a reminder of how you know for sure that you were born again, that you are saved, that you are a child of God. In this parable, it says a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold and as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples were a bit confused. Nice story, Jesus. <laughs> what does it mean? He says, okay, the parable is this. The seed 
is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. Pathway. The word does not take root. It does not have any impact. People hear about Jesus and go, yeah, I'm not interested. I mean, there's no, there's no penetration into their mind or heart at all. It's just like, I don't want to hear about that Jesus stuff. Don't be bringing that Bible stuff into our home. You know, oh, Jesus, Jesus, you know, all this Christianity stuff. Like, when you, when you just let it go. That's the pathway. It's like, it's a barrier. There's this solid wall of not interested. And the ones on the rock are those, when they heard the word, received it with joy. Initially, it sounded great, but these have no root. And they believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. It sounds good, kind of like the salvation stuff. I like the idea that when I die, I won't be going to the hell place. But it doesn't really sink in. It doesn't take root. There's nothing in it that, that sticks. They're not really wanting to be fully invested or engaged. They just kind of want the fire insurance, so to speak. And then get on with their life. No changes ever happened in their life. No transformation. Other interests replace the initial interest of the gospel. Might show up at church from time to time, but for the most part, other interests and hobbies take precedent over being with God's people. I'm going hiking this week. I'm going to work in my garden this week. I'm so busy, I can't come to church this week. It's like, it's it's just not, it's not a priority at all. And so after a while, it's like, eh, I just don't have any time for that stuff anymore. Well, the rock, the thorns, and for those that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares or riches or pleasures of life, and the fruit does not mature. Maybe, maybe these people who heard the word that were, it was soil, but it was also weeds growing up at the same time. They didn't really get rid of all the stuff that was in their life that, that competed with the gospel message, with the truth of God's word. And so the, the competition in their life, all of their hobbies or the, the clubs or the, the, the things that they were in their life, the, the habits that they had, they didn't, they didn't negotiate Christ to become Lord of their life. They just added Jesus to themselves. And so Eventually, the stuff in their life, the enticements and the pleasures and, and everything that's out there to, uh, to, to grab their attention. They're on the internet all the time, scroll, 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 and on, on YouTube all the time. They're watching the advert. Oh, I need some of those. I need, it's like they don't have the time to invest in the kingdom because they're so busy with everything else. Eventually, they just fall away. And I, honestly, there's people that... Yet, Maybe you went on a mission trip with them. Maybe you served in children's ministry with them. Maybe you did lots of stuff with them over the years, and all of a sudden you find out that they're not attending church anymore. They don't even believe in God anymore. It's like, what happened? I thought they were solid. I thought they were real. I thought they were genuine. It says, well, stuff in their life just kind of choked it out. They didn't have, it didn't stick. They never bore fruit. They never let the Spirit of God work in them to develop a Christ-like nature, to, give, to change their heart to change their focus and priorities. It never really took root. And so it says, after a while, they just fell away. They just stopped coming. They just stopped believing. And once they were teaching Bible school lessons to kids, and now they don't even believe there's a God. Choked out. By the worries and enticements and 
things of this world. And then it says, for the good soil there, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest, good heart and bear fruit with patience. Good soil. That's where there's actual heart transformation. That's where people's priorities begin to shift. That's when they start realizing, I don't really need this stuff in my life anymore. I, I, I need to get rid of it. This is so, such a distraction for me. It, it doesn't hold my attention anymore like it used to. Their, their worldviews change. Their priorities change. The way they spend their money changes. The way they serve. The way they help others change. Because Christ is in them, working, uh, working uh, his magic in their heart in a sense that his spirit is constantly helping us to see things from his perspective. We, Start reading his word. We start spending time in prayer in the good soil. And, and that's when the fruit begins to happen. People's lives begin to be impacted because of these, these folks that let Jesus live through them to change their actions and their attitudes, their behaviors, how they invest their time and their life and their resources. Used to be, years ago, I would say, okay, I've got four seeds, we've got four soils, so like 25% of the people are actually good to go. And then someone pointed out to me, well, wait a minute, like, <laughs> there wasn't an equal distribution of all the seeds on the, the pathway and in the rocks and in the thorns. The majority of the seeds went in the good soil. I mean, that's what farmers do. They don't get to make a living if all they throw seeds on soils and rocks and pathways and stuff. So it just struck me that, you know, most of the seed went where it could really bear fruit, where it could go deep, where... People can be transformed by the presence of God's word in their heart. Only some of the seeds fell on the path or rocky soil or among the weeds, but the vast majority seed is sown in good soil, and that's the hope. That's what we try to nurture at church here, is to nurture that seed that's in the soil. We want to see life transformation. We want to water that and, and, and nurture that seed so that it grows to bearing fruit, so that you make a difference in your community. You make a difference in the places God puts you to serve and, and impact that when lives come across you, they notice there's something different. You're not just the same. What happened to you? You seem different. Jesus came in. That's what happened. I am new. There's people in our midst, and, and I've only been here a couple of years, two and a half years or so, but I have seen the changes in their life even since I've been here and their priorities, and how they manage their things. And, and it's like, wow, God's, God's doing his thing in their life. It's amazing to see. But that's what's supposed to happen. If you're the same person now as you were 10 years ago, there's something wrong. There should be transformation. There should be investment in kingdom activity and kingdom uh, matters. You should be thinking about, praying about, how do I serve? How do I get involved? Maybe a mission trip is something I'd like to do. Maybe I should be supporting a missionary. Maybe I should be investing more in eternal things instead of the temporal things. A.W. Tozer uh, said this, salvation from our side looks like a choice. You could choose salvation or not, but from the divine side, it's a seizing upon and apprehending and a conquest by the Most High God. Our accepting and willingness are reactions rather than actions. The right of determination must always remain with God. In other words, we don't decide to get saved. Becoming saved is not our choice, 
God has been drawing you to himself all along and offering you salvation. All we do is accept the gift of salvation, but it's not our choice. It's not up to us. What is up to us is our willingness to receive what God has to offer and letting him have control and lordship over our life. You weren't saved because you chose to be saved. You were saved because you accepted the gift that God offers you. Sin in us makes salvation impossible. There's nothing we can do to be saved because of sin in us. But Jesus offers salvation to those who will believe in him. It's a gift, a present, something of infinite value that cannot be bought, traded for, earned, or deserved. Salvation is the benefit we receive when we place our faith in Christ. He does everything else. He does the born-again stuff. He does the transformation stuff. He does the coming and living inside of us. We carry with us the presence of Christ, the King of Kings in us because we receive the gift that he offered to us. doesn't matter how many bad things you've done. doesn't matter how many good things you've done either. You can't be too bad to be saved. And you can't be good enough to earn salvation. It doesn't depend on whether or not we, we did good things or bad things. It depends on whether we are willing to receive the presence of Christ in our life. That's what grace is all about. Making available to us that which we do not deserve. You know, I have come across people that say, I, I haven't been that bad. I think God, God likes me. Um, I deserve to go to heaven because of all the good. I've, I've given money. I've been nice I've helped people out. I've stopped and helped people fix a flat tire. I helped a lady with their groceries. Like, I'm a nice person. And I say, it doesn't matter. Lots of nice people are not going to be in heaven because they didn't receive the gift of salvation. It's not about being nice. It's not about being too bad. You don't deserve to go to hell. It's not about deserving at all. It's about believing. There's going to be a lot of bad people who in the last minute repented of their badness, who asked for forgiveness and were reconciled with God. And God says, do you believe? He says, I believe. Like the thief on the cross. Last minute, I believe. Then you're good to go. I'll see you in paradise. Galatians 2.16 says, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You can't earn your way. You can't be good enough. It's Jesus allowing you to be his child when you receive that gift. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. So salvation is a, it's about giving up the rights to your life. It's about being bought with a price and that we are no longer our own. And this is where the security of salvation comes. When you give your life to Jesus, you can't take it back. It's his. You belong to him. He died for you. He gave you eternal life. He paid the price for your salvation. You now are his treasured possession. And if you think you can just walk away, 
the only thing I can figure out is maybe you're amongst the thorns. Maybe it's not that you went deep. Maybe you're not really all in. I, I, people that walk away from Jesus, I'm going, I can't see why you would walk away from someone that has love so high and so deep and so wide for you that, that has so much to offer. You want to just turn your back on him? It must not have been real. It must, there must have been some mistake or maybe you're just still kind of working it out and you decide, no, nah, I, I like what the world has to offer better and you walk away. But those that are in the good soil, they, they don't turn their backs on God. They realize it's not me who lives now, it's Jesus living through me. What a ride this is going to be. Salvation is about giving up your rights to your life once and for all because you were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, you know, that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, don't you? You do not belong to yourself because you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. I read that last line uh, yesterday again, and uh, you know, what came to mind is three different individuals that I have come across over the years. Do you remember uh, Johnny Erickson Tata? Anyone? Remember then she had a diving accident in Chesapeake Bay and she was paralyzed from the shoulders down? How about Vic Vujicic? Uh, uh, he's got no arms or legs. Um, George Dennehy, no arms. Uh, these people are evangelists. They, they're keynote speakers for conferences, for, for teenagers. They, uh, Johnny learned to paint. She, she's written over 40 books. And she can't even, <laughs> she can't hardly move her arm anymore. So, and it just says, glorify God with your bodies. And they are doing more for the kingdom of God with compromised bodies than able-bodied people are. What do we have to offer? What is our excuse to, to not be glorifying God with our bodies? We have so much to offer. How much more should those without such challenges be bringing glory to God with our abilities? This is our giving back. When we have salvation, when we're born again, when we belong to Christ, when we're a treasured possession and a holy priesthood for him, everything we do should draw attention to the goodness of God around us and offer it to those who are in need. The good news also is that the presence of Christ through his spirit is in us forever. We've talked about this before. He has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He's not going to walk away from you because you mess up and fail. He will not turn his back on you even when you turn your back on him. He works even harder to demonstrate his love for you patiently waiting for your return. Someone once asked me, did the, did the prodigal son... Did he lose his salvation? Is this a story about someone that just abandoned God and went off and lived riotous living with prostitutes and drunkenness and parties and all that stuff? Did he lose his salvation? I said, no, he never stopped being a son. He never stopped having a dad who was looking for him and waiting for him and praying for him to come home. There are times when we get hurt, when we are confused, when we will walk away from the church, when we are mad at God because of something that happened, but it doesn't mean we've lost our salvation or lost our status as being born again. You can't become unborn once you were born. Being born again is something that God does to us and for us and through us and in us. He still has his presence with us, even though we're running in the wrong direction like 
like uh, Jonah. God didn't leave him alone. <laughs> he ran as far in the opposite direction as he could just to get away from God's assignment for him. And God says, uh, no, it doesn't work like that. You're my prophet. You're my servant, and um, I've got a job for you. 1 Corinthians 15 says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We won't all sleep, but we will all be changed. In other words, uh, he's talking about one day, everything we see, everything we are is going to be changed. We're not all going to die. Christ is going to come back, and in a moment, there's going to be a transformation that happens. This flesh is going to be different. We're not going to all be asleep, but we, we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. We will be changed. Uh, for this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must be put on, uh, must put on Im- immortality. So, when this is a hard sentence, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. One day, everything we see will be transformed. Someone asked me this last week, um, is, is it okay to be um, cremated? Some people believe that that's wrong, that we need to have a body put in a casket. And I you know, I thought about that for a long time. My parents, oh, we got to have a casket. We gotta, and I'm going, yeah, but you know, there's a lot of martyrs that were burned at the stake. There's a lot of people that died gruesome deaths over the centuries that believed in Christ that don't have a body. They were fed to lions. So they were dinner for animals. Like they didn't have a chance to get a casket and be buried in the ground. So I'm thinking it's not about the flesh. It's not about the physicalness. It's about the soul that we have. That It says here that we're not going to have that physical body when, when Christ comes back. That the soul will be clothed in a new body, an imperishable body. We're going to be clothed with something, with immortality. We will, we will rise again with those that have perished before us and those that are still living and we'll all be joining together. When Christ comes back, it's going to be a, an amazing time. Those that don't have all of their parts are going to be clothed with an immortality, immortal body, an imperishable body. That's what I like. Uh, anyone Harry Potter fans? I don't know. Just, uh, some hate to admit it. <laughs> you know that invisibility cloak? I think that's so cool. When we are saved, we are clothed with an imperishable cloak. The armor of God is similar. We, we put on Jesus as our cloak, as our protection, as our salvation. And he transforms us into imperishableness like him when he rose from the dead. He had a different kind of body that could walk through walls that can, can ascend up to heaven. Like we're going to have a similar kind of a body. So that's all waiting for us. It's all part of the deal. It's in, it's in, the, it's in the big print in the text. Scripture is saying that if you belong to him, you've got all of the stuff waiting for you waiting to, for Christ to return, waiting for that new body to be transformed into an immortal body. You've got a place waiting for you. You've got a place reserved for you. You're, you're going to come up to the gates of heaven and say, good morning, uh, Mr. Wilson, good to see you. We've got a place for you. That's what we get. You think he's going to just take that away from you because you were bad? Take it all away because you messed up? That's not what a father's like. He says he's got a, he's long suffering. He's, he's waiting for us. 
When it comes to our salvation, our confidence is not in our goodness or our actions. It is in God and his great power. He called us because of his own purposes. He chose us before the foundations of the world to be a part of his kingdom, to be a child of God, to be involved in his activity. John 10 27 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. We're safe. We're secure. Nobody is greater than God. God has a plan and a purpose for us. And he invites us to be a part of his activity, to let his spirit transform us from the inside out. Maybe today you feel far away from God. Maybe today you feel like an outsider looking in a window, wondering what everything else is going on in other people's lives, but you just don't feel it. You just don't sense it. Maybe... Maybe there's more you have to do to be all in. Maybe you really need to release your life into the hands of the one whose love is higher and deeper and wider than anything you've ever imagined before. Maybe today you realize that you never truly gave your whole heart to Jesus and accepted his love that he has to offer you, but today you can become right with God. Today your status can change. Today can be a day of salvation, of Renewal of restoration with your relationship with God. You don't have to stop earning it anymore. You just have to receive it. We have people at the front that will pray with you, that can guide you into the presence of God and help you to receive the gift of salvation if you haven't done that. If you... If you you said, a, you said a prayer years ago and it didn't really make a difference. You, you're still the same person you were 15 years ago. God hasn't had a chance to bear fruit in your life, to transform you, to work in you. Today can be the start of eternity for you. You can ask our worship team if they would to come up at this time. Just bow your heads for a moment as we conclude this service. Father God, you are amazing. You've seen us the day we were born. You watched us grow up. You watched us learn how to walk, to talk, to, to run. You, you, you saw us as we struggled to learn piano, and to stay above water with swimming lessons, and you put us in a family. You've seen us all along, and all this time you've been drawing us to yourself. All this time you've been engineering circumstances to introduce yourself to us Put people in our life and our pathway to remind us of your love. I pray, Father, if anyone here today is not in the status of a child of God, that that would change today. Their status would change. Your spirit coming in and fill them and, and help them to be born again. To have all the rights and privileges of a child of God. And for those of us, Father, who have known you for a long time, I pray that you would renew our commitment to you, that you would Help us to appreciate the love uh, that you have to offer us, the guidance that you've been giving us all along, to be grateful and to continue to surrender each day to your will and to your purposes. Whatever the decision, Father, the people need to make today, I pray that you would guide them by your spirit to do what needs to happen to be right with you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.